Hey, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. Come on, stand up with me. We're going to worship the Lord this morning. It's great to see all of you and just uh, raise our voices this morning because God is here with us as we praise his holy name. This is the house that the Lord has built, and we are glad to be here today.
Okay, so there's going to be a quiz afterwards for anybody that you just met. Their name, and it can't be somebody that you know, of course. Um, we are glad that you're here today because God is here with us. You know that. And we are here because we're sisters and brothers in Christ. We're worshiping and praising His glorious name today. Amen. Sing this with me.
of our praise. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat as Liz comes on up. Good morning. Good morning. Try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I love that. Good morning. Good to be with you all. We're so glad that you're here. Um, I, I want to encourage you all. Um, just, just celebrate. Take a minute and just thank God because we're here and there's so much to be thankful for. And and man, what a what a what a truth that we can claim that nobody loves us like God does. Amen. So we're glad that you are all here. Glad that you're joining us online as well. Um, Crossroads, if there's any, anybody here in church, if there's anyone here this morning that's a, our guest, um, we're glad that you're here. Please stop by the Welcome Center before you leave, and we want to talk with you, want to connect with you. We also have a gift for you by just saying thanks for being our guest. So please stop by the Welcome Center on your way out, and uh, we promise you won't take long. We just love to connect with you. So stop by the Welcome Center, all of our guests, and all of our guests that are joining us online. Welcome to all those joining us online. If you're our guest this morning, please uh, pop a a little message in the comments, and we'd love to talk with you and connect with you online as well. Church, there's a lot of things that are coming up quickly here on our church calendar. One is that our uh, next, uh, sorry, in two weeks, in two Sundays, we're going to be having our celebration and baptism Sunday. So this is going to be a moment where we're going to pause and we're going to say thank you, God, for all that he is doing. He is moving in our church. He is moving beyond um, our church and, and lives all over this community and beyond. And so we want to celebrate all that God is doing. And so if you have made that step of faith and trusted in Jesus Christ, and you would like to get baptized, please go on our website or stop by the Welcome Center. Uh, there's information in your bulletin as well. But we would love to love to baptize you. We would love to celebrate what God is doing in your life. And so that is going to be on the 13th of August. We're going to have our celebration and baptism Sunday. We're going to be celebrating all that God has done, everything from our Ecuador trip to mega sports camp uh, to all the different uh, stories of life change, and we're going to see people get baptized. So if you'd like to get baptized, August 13th, we would love to see you get baptized and uh, celebrate that um, with you. And then on right after the second service over in Denora at Palmer Park, we're going to be having our church picnic, so you're all invited. So a couple things. In your bulletin, there's a handout of information on how to get there. Um, and when it starts, we're going to be starting, you know, 1 o'clock right after the second service. So head on over there right after the second service. Um, today, before you leave, stop by the, um, the foyer and talk to Cindy Loudon. She's helping organize uh, the picnic. So if you would like to bring something, you can find out information on how to bring different items, um, as well as uh, sign up for the Cornhole Tournament. Cornhole Tournament is happening. Uh, we're just a little competitive here at Crossroads. Uh, and so you could sign up for the Cornhole Tournament as well as to bring an item for the picnic. And so that's going to be a really fun time as a church family. And then on the 18th of August is our movie night. Super, or Super Mario Brothers down on the field. Invite someone to join you. Bring your blanket or bring a chair. Uh, dollar concessions. And we're going to be having a great time just enjoying just the summer and uh, wrapping up our movie nights and just doing that on the 18th. So we're going to show we're going to have uh, bounce houses and obstacle courses for the kids uh, up front and then right at around dusk we're going to be having the movie. So come on out on the 18th. Guys, would you stand with me this morning as we continue on in song and just thanking God for all that he's done. Again, we're focusing on him. That's why we sing is all glory and honor and focus is going towards God. And so as we do that, I also want to say thank you for being faithful and giving into the Lord. You can give online through the mail or the offering boxes here in the church. But we're worshiping him through giving, through song, through fellowship. It's all for him. So let's pray and continue on this morning. God, thank you for this place that we can gather. Uh, we want to praise you. We want to glorify you with our lives. We've been given this life and we want to do our best to honor you with it. And so 
Lord, thank you for this this uh, this time we can gather, we can sing, we can we can hang out together, we can encourage each other, we can listen, we can cry, we can just listen and do all the things that we do as people um, here and and do it in the body of Christ. And so we can do it here at this church. Thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus Christ in whom our focus is all for. Um, Lord, we thank you for loving us and we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to the cross for our sin. Lord, and rising three days later. That's the truth that we proclaim every single time we're together. Every single day that we're alive, we say, Jesus, you are Lord of our lives. And so, God, we love you. And for this time, we just give thanks, and it's all for you. In your name, amen.
Well, we're in a series called Exiles. It's on the book of First Peter. We've entitled it Exiles because the, uh, the letter and, and the first few verses, it says, to those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion. So talking about the church, and they, they were scattered under persecution. The, uh, they, were, they were exiles. So they were, they, they were running from the government, if you will, because Nero had burnt down Rome, and he tried to blame it on the Christians. And so obviously the Christians didn't do it, but they are running for their life. They're fleeing for their life. They're under extreme persecution. And so last week we talked about trials. We got into the first few verses there of the chapter and talked about trials and how the trials are necessary at times in our life. God uses trials. Trials are not something... Don't think you're strange if you have trials in your life. Um, Everybody is going to have a trial. We're supposed to have trials, and trials are just part of how God grows us. When you have a trial, and, and I'll tell you this, God doesn't necessarily inflict wounds on you, but he'll never let a hurt go that he doesn't use. He never wastes a hurt. When you have pain, you have something hurting in your life, God will come along and he will minister to you in the middle of that hurt, in the middle of that pain. So trials are absolutely necessary. And so I want to encourage you to be in prayer for a couple of our families this morning. They're going through some trials. I preached that sermon on trials and then I felt like I got off the stage and it was just, wow, it was a week of trials. Uh, People dealing with a lot of loss in our church right now. We have uh, Harlan Hensley went home to be with the Lord this week. And so many of you know Harlan was a faithful part of our church for many years. And um, he, uh, he went home to be with the Lord. So I want you to pray for the Hensley family this morning and uh, just lift them all up before the Lord. Uh, his his uh, viewing will be 2 to 4 and 6 to 8 tomorrow down at Kegel's and an 11 o'clock service here on Tuesday in honor of Harlan. But uh, I want you to pray for the Hensley family. It's, uh, it's a trying time. Uh, while we're grieving uh, with hope, we're still grieving. And then I also want you to pray for the Koval family, Rich and Sandy Koval. They lost their daughter, Stephanie, uh, 27 years old, suddenly this week. And uh, she went to be with the Lord. And we'll be having a funeral service here at 11 o'clock tomorrow for the Koval family. So I want to ask you to be in prayer for these folks. Um, you know, these trials are heavy. These trials are hard. And as you face trials, you will find that uh, many times suffering causes us to get our eyes looking downward. And as you're looking downward because of the pain, you kind of get overwhelmed. You're kind of looking down and you're thinking, is there any hope? Peter reminds us here that we have a living hope. And because of this living hope, you can make it through these trials. As a matter of fact, the point number one in your notes today is this, is that indescribable joy is found in the unseen. Would you say that with me? Indescribable joy is found in the unseen. You will not find joy in the things that you can see in the circumstances of life. They're very temporal. Um, You will find indescribable joy in the unseen. And look what he says here, 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And remember, Peter had seen Jesus. But the people he's writing to have not. This is the next generation. They've been scattered out. They're moving on. And the good news of Jesus is, is being moved. Uh, more people than, than were actually physically present when Jesus was in that town. So he's spreading this word out. And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, we get our joy 
from the unseen. The unseen is Jesus. I have not seen Jesus face to face. Neither have you. But one day we will. Right now, Harlan Hensley is on the streets of gold. He's talking to the Lord. He's, uh, he's singing to him face to face. He is seeing Jesus face to face. I have not seen Jesus face to face. One day I will. And we get our great joy from this, the unseen. And he says here, he says that it is an inexpressible, it's indescribable, it's unspeakable, it's unutterable, that you can't even put a words to it. You know, I found myself many times going through a trial that there's things that are happening in my life and there's just something deep that's going on that I can't describe it to you. I can't tell you, but I can tell you that I'm okay. I can tell you that I've got a sense of joy while the world is crumbling around and while everything is falling apart all around me. He says this, that it's not in our circumstances that inexpressible joy is in the unseen in Jesus. He says that unexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And he starts to talk about salvation. So this is the third or fourth time he's going to mention the word salvation here. And uh, look here, he says, verse 10, concerning this salvation. So concerning what he just talked about, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours was searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. He begins to talk about this salvation. And this, he says, concerning, verse 10, concerning this salvation. You know, the theme of this book, the theme of the Bible is God's plan of salvation. As you look through the whole Bible, you can see the whole story of redemption. From the very beginning of creation, the very beginning of human history, all the way to the very end of human history in Revelation 21. You're going to see here that, uh, that God has a plan, and His plan is to save you from your sin. And all over this, I can show you the plan of salvation from every book in the Bible. It's a thread that runs through. As a matter of fact, the word salvation, saved, uh, saving, this word is used 400 times in the Bible. And so when he's talking about salvation here, sometimes he's talking about a physical, like somebody was physically saved from a catastrophe or something. But right here, he's talking about salvation of your soul, your eternal salvation. So when you hear that word salvation, it means that my soul and your soul was supposed to be separated from God forever and ever in a real place called hell, the Bible says. But yet the salvation, concerning this salvation, how God came down and he saved you, he stopped you from having that. It's like a guy who's walking off and uh, going into trouble. God stepped in and he saved you. He protected you. He stopped that from happening. Concerning this salvation, God's desire, I want you to know, is that all people should be saved. That's his desire. Look here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says here that God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
God's desire is for you to be saved from the punishment of your sin, for you to have a knowledge of who he is and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what God's plan. God's desire is for you to have that. Now listen, most of the world right now doesn't have that. Why? Because they're running from God. They are trying to save themselves. They're saving themselves in their own works. They're saving themselves in their own, I'm going to just get my fill of life in whatever it is that I think I can find it, try to find my own direction. But the scripture says here that God's desire is that all should be saved. That's the moment whenever you said yes to God. Or really God said yes to you, isn't it? You can look back at that day in your life and you can say, okay, that's whenever I trusted Jesus Christ and I can look back. I look back and I remember in my life as a young man trusting Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And that was the day that my salvation began, that God saved me and redirected my life, redirected my path and gave me a newness in Him. And you know what is easy to happen is many times we have this great gift of salvation it's, uh, it's so easy for us to become complacent and say, well, I have my salvation. Or I'm saved, and, and, but I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Uh, it's so easy to become complacent. Uh, years ago, we used to have these on Thanksgiving Eve, a, a service where people would just kind of stand up and give a testimony anywhere in their seat. And uh, I'll never forget, some of the people would have long stories and then you'd see somebody would just stand up and they'd say, well, I just thank God for my salvation. And then they would sit down. And I remember saying, well, gee, that's kind of a short statement. Like, well, can't they say something more? Right? And really, they said everything. I thank God for my salvation. We have a salvation that is absolutely marvelous. Your salvation is absolutely marvelous. Say that with me. Your salvation is absolutely marvelous. Listen, it is something that, uh, that is incredible. And the scriptures tell us here. He says, concerning this salvation, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. So the prophets would come along and they would give these prophecies, all right? And so we see that your salvation is absolutely marvelous. And he gives you three reasons here why it's so marvelous. He says, first of all, that the prophets prophesied it. Now, you've got to think about this. Here's the prophets, and they're prophesying, and they're giving this word of the future. And what that does for us, when we see that the prophecies have come true, the prophets took great time, and they are inquiring about it. You know what that does? It increases the value of our current hope. You see, the prophets, they look forward. They, the, Isaiah got up and he gave a prophecy. Daniel gave prophecy. And as these people stood up and they gave the prophecies, they didn't know when it would be fulfilled. They didn't know all the details. They just knew that God told them to stand up and say this. And so they would stand up and they would say the, the different prophecies. And so... God has a track record. God has kept his promises. God fulfills his prophecies. In the same way that the prophets look forward to Christ coming, we look forward to Christ coming again. It's very exciting. Man, one day Jesus is coming back. You know, in the scriptures we find two mountains of prophecy. The first one, I'll call it Golgotha, the scripture refers to in, in Mark fifteen twenty two says that they brought him to the place called Golgotha. 
That's where the, where the sacrifice of Christ was prayed. Isaiah 53, 8. Look at this prophecy. 700 years before Jesus arrives on earth. He was taken from prison and, was, and, and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he, will, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. We see this prophecy of how the Messiah would die. We see that he'd be beaten. So you have the first mountain is the, the mountain of Golgotha. And then over in Zechariah 14.4, it talks about another mountain. It says that in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Today, we are waiting for that day when Jesus comes back. It says that he will come and at the second coming, he will actually touch down. There'll be the rapture, and then he will actually come down when he comes down at the end of the rapture, and he will touch down on the mountain of olives over in Israel. And it's actually, it continues, it says the mountain will split, and there'll be a way that he prepares for the people. But you've got to catch this. When Jesus comes, this, this is what we're waiting for. So, so whenever the, they were given these prophecies, they had no clue when they would come. It's First uh, Peter one ten says concerning this salvation, the prophecies who prophesied about that grace uh, what, that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time that the Spirit of Christ would come. All right, so so I'm going to show you two pictures here. This first picture is the Old Testament perspective. When the prophets would give a prophecy, so Daniel would stand up and give a prophecy. Isaiah would stand up and give a prophecy. They're, they're given the prophecies, and they can only see the mountains of prophecy. Down in Ecuador, we looked out, and uh, everybody who goes to Ecuador has pictures of mountains. That's just how it is. When you go to Quito, you come back, and everybody's pictures look the same. We all have mountains, right? Because it's, like, beautiful. You go to Denver, you take pictures of the mountains. But what you can't see is uh, in between those mountains. You can't see the, the, the terrible valleys until you're on the bus in Ecuador and they take you up the side of the road and you're looking out that bus and you're saying, okay, let's get out of here, right? You're looking down and you see how steep and how deep that really is. And you see there's water down there. You see all kind of other things that are happening in the valley. But we all take pictures of the mountaintops. And so, in the, in the Old Testament, when they would give a prophecy, it's like looking at the mountaintops. They could see that there was a suffering servant. We read that in Isaiah 53. We see the way that he'll die. We see all this. And then, you see the mountain of olives. So, whenever they gave the prophecy, they didn't know that there's time in between. They're just standing up and saying, thus says the Lord, and they project it out. In the New Testament, this is how we look back. All right, look at the next picture here. We look back. We have the cross and we have the coming king. And what we are, we are in the church age, which is in that valley in between. So the church age, this is what, listen, this is the glorious age of salvation. Man, all people everywhere are coming to God all over the world. And this is what the prophets could not see. They did not see this time gap in between. They just saw the mountains, the top of the mountains. And here we are, we're living in this valley time, and we can see that this is these prophecies, we can see that there's more yet to be fulfilled. So as we look back to the cross, we say, wow, look what God did for us. The prophets 
were on the other side of that mountain looking forward to the cross. They were on the other side of the mountain. They gave prophecies and they said, okay, the the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And so they're looking around. When was every baby born? Was there anybody that was born of a virgin? And so they're checking around for this, see what was going on. They would see another prophecy. He'd be born in Bethlehem. And so as, as, as they would do this, you could only imagine how people would be looking and wondering, when would this come? And, and then eventually they would get a little complacent. But the, but the prophets, as they gave this, they didn't even understand what you get to understand today. Um, it's incredible, our salvation. The prophets predicted it. They were spokesmen for God, is what they were. They would stand up and say, thus says the Lord. They're, they're kind of like archers, all right? You take a, take a bow and an arrow and you go out and you shoot it. And so here would come Isaiah. He'd take and he'd lob off his prophecies. He'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, and out there it goes. He'd be born in, into Judah and it would go out there. He'd be despised and rejected and it would go out there. Then Daniel would get up. Daniel would lob off a few prophecies. Then Zechariah would lob off a few prophecies. And they're all shooting these arrows at different times from different locations. And as they're shooting all these prophecies off, Zephaniah sends them out. So there's a number of prophets that gave, gave these uh, predictions ahead of the Messiah, God's plan, and who he, uh, what he would look like, what he would do, but they didn't have the time. And so they didn't know all the details. And it would be like all those arrows going up in the air and all of them coming down and landing on the same person. Here's Daniel. He lobs them. Isaiah, different times in history, different dates, they're said, and they all come in, not on ten candidates, but on only one, Jesus Christ. You know, there were more than 330 of those arrows that were shot. 330 predictions of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ, what he would be, what he would do. 330. I'm going to list a few of them. We see he'd be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14. He'd be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5:2. He'd be born in the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. His ministry would begin in Galilee, Isaiah 9. He would work miracles, Isaiah 35. He would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9. He would be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11. He would be wounded and bruised, Isaiah 53. His hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22. He would be crucified between two thieves, Isaiah 53. His garments would be torn and those around would cast lots for them. Psalm 22. His bones would not be broken. Psalm 34. His wounds would be, his side would be pierced. Zechariah 12. He would be buried in a rich man's tomb. We just read that in Isaiah 53 9. He would rise from the dead. Psalm 16 10. Now that's just 16 out of the 330 prophecies. What are the odds of all 330, all 330 coming on to one person? 
This wasn't something that was just random. This isn't something that you can say, well, listen, this was God planned it and had all these prophecies came true. As, as a matter of fact, Dr. Peter Stoner, he was, a, he was a Christian author and the chairman of the math department at Pasadena City College in the 1950s. He wrote a little book called Science Speaks, and he used all this math to help people understand the probability of one person taking on all of those. Like if you were to think this is just something that happened by chance. He says if you were to take eight, just eight of those predictions. Now, I gave you 16. He says if you were to take just eight of those predictions, for one man in history to fulfill eight things foretold about him before he was born, for him to actually see those things come to pass, the odds of that would be one in 10 to the 17th power. There's the number. I don't even know how to say that. He says, let me, he further goes on, Stoner goes on and says, let me give you a visual so you can understand it. He says, if you were to take the state of Texas and you were to fill it with silver dollars. Now, I realize we don't use silver dollars. This was written in the 50s, right? So, if you were to take silver dollars and fill the state of Texas two feet deep, take the entire state of Texas, fill it two feet deep with silver dollars, and come and take one silver dollar, tape, put red tape on it, throw it in the middle and mix it in there, and then tell somebody to go in and find it, that's about the chance you would have of finding it, one in that many. He says, that is what this is. Like the, the prophecies of God, this is not something random. He goes on, he says, that was just for eight. He says, he says, pre-mark and send someone in to find it blindfolded, you'll never find it. Stoner got even more elaborate. He said that the odds of one man in history fulfilling 16 of those, 16, not 316. He said, of those predictions made about Jesus Christ that he would fulfill would be one in 10 to the 45th power. And there's that number. You want to talk about how great your salvation is? Stoner goes on to say, he says, if you could take a ball, make a globe that would go from the center of our globe and goes and take the distance from the center of our globe and go to the sun, which is 93 million miles, times 30, and take and fill it with the silver dollars, and put the red one in the middle and go find it. In other words, it's impossible. Only God could have made these predictions and make them come true. You know, there are 25, other, there are 25 books that claim to be from God. The Muslims will tell you that the Quran is from God. Confucius has his writings. The Hindus have their writings. Let me tell you, out of all 25 of them, only the Bible, only God's Word, the Bible, has the predictive prophecies and the fact that they came true. God did this so that you would believe. How marvelous is your salvation? Peter's leaning in. He says, listen, the prophets, they proclaimed it, but they didn't understand it. They knew all this, but they didn't understand. They just did what God told them to do. There are no prophets today, but could you imagine if I stood up and made a prophecy? Okay, go downtown Pittsburgh. 
you'll find a Volkswagen. And in the back of the Volkswagen, you'll find a bag, right? Listen, these guys made the predictions and everything came true. All those arrows. And listen, it was like a puzzle coming together. Like if you were to put a puzzle together, try to have 25 guys put a puzzle together. It ain't going to work, man. It just isn't going to happen. I, I was uh, at Christmas time. I was buying these puzzles and I was giving them out to different family members. I found the puzzle on Amazon. It's pretty cool. You bought the puzzle for 10 or 15 bucks, and uh, it was a puzzle of a QR code. Okay? And if you, you, if, once you put the puzzle of the QR code together, you take your camera and you scan it, and you can either win $1 or a $1 million. So it's like, hey, at least they win a dollar, right? You know? So I took and I gave that to a number of people. I gave one to my nephew, and, you know, before we left, he opened that box up. He's putting it all together, you know. He was here in the first service, sat on the front row. I said, Hunter, how'd that go? He goes, I quit. Yeah, he, he, just, he just gave up on it. There's no way you're going to put that together. I, I was even more mean. We gave one to my 86-year-old father-in-law, okay? And I think it's still in the box out there for him, all right? So, but I want you to catch this here. It, it's like you, you, you put this thing together. There's no way that I can't even put a QR code puzzle together here. You alone 25, all these different people, all the prophecies, 330 of them, and it all comes together right on Jesus Christ. The prophets didn't understand. Isaiah asked, how long, O Lord? Habakkuk asked something similar. He says, how long, O Lord? Habakkuk 1. Daniel says, this vision has troubled me, the prophecy that God gave him. They were looking at the who and the what, inquiring, verse 11, inquiring what person or the time that the Spirit of Christ in them, so God had given them the word, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. You know, Jesus was, after he rose from the dead, it was kind of cool. He made a few appearances, and there were two disciples walking along the road. It wasn't part of the twelve. They're just two followers of, they were part of the followers and had faith in Christ, right? They didn't understand. They hadn't heard the word that Jesus rose from the dead yet. And they're talking and they're commiserating and they're just in grief. And Jesus sneaks up on them behind them. You know, isn't that neat how God kind of sneaks up on you every now and then, doesn't he? Jesus walks up behind them and they didn't recognize him because Jesus had just died. They weren't expecting him to be alive. In Luke 24, Jesus says this to them after they've been talking. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. Ought not the Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? On another occasion, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 13, he says, Many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and they have not heard it. He's sitting with the disciples, he says, You guys got the gift. He's the gift. And today, as we look back on it, we've got the gift. Before the cross, they didn't have all this joy that we have. They were longing for one day the Messiah will come. And you know what? Today, I'm longing for one day Jesus will return. And when he comes back, it's all over. And I happen to believe that it could be any day. The Scriptures tell us in His Word, there are so many prophecies that have been fulfilled. We're coming down to only a few left. And Jesus is on His way back 
the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the, the, uh, the return of Christ through the rapture and then all the way to Mount of Olives when he touched down at the end of the tribulation. Folks, it is any day now, and we're to live that way. And you know what the, the prophets did? They thought, Isaiah gave it 700 years before. He thought, it must be coming soon. Maybe it'll be in my lifetime I'll get to see the Messiah. Maybe it'll be in my lifetime I'll get to see the Redeemer. Oh, our salvation was never an afterthought. It was never an afterthought, and it was given through the prophets. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It is absolutely marvelous. Not only did the prophets predict it, but the preachers proclaim it. That's the next point in your notes there. The preachers proclaim it. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that, they have, uh, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels look. The, 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 uh, the preachers preach the good news. And who were the preachers at this point? That was Peter. That was John. That was the, the, the apostles. They went out and they took the good news. Hey, we've met the risen Lord. Jesus came. He fulfilled all the prophecy. All these prophets. And, and you'll hear them as you read in, in Acts. Whenever they preach, they said he fulfilled the prophets. He fulfilled the prophecies. He fulfilled it. And so they kept showing this and they kept saying, look, this is the Messiah has come. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And, and people came to God. They were the primary preachers of the day. Peter and John, they were, uh, they, they were going into a temple one day, into the temple one day, and there was a man lame from birth. And he was picked up and healed. And Peter preached, and, the, and they said in the message here, uh, Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. There's no other name given under heaven. You know what? We are still preaching today. There are some preachers that are good preachers and some preachers that are not good. The way you can tell a preacher is good is if he's using this book right here. If he's using the Word of God and he's telling you what's in it. If he's just telling you how to feel good, that's not, that's not preaching. That has nothing to do, you see, because feeling good, your joy comes not from feeling good. Your joy comes from the unseen. And so as we get into the, the, the Word of God, we want to give you the Word of God, and we want to help you. And who do we give this to? Anyone who will listen. Let me tell you, the Peter and John, they gave it to anyone who will listen. And I'll tell you what, I'll give it to you if you'll listen. Um, that's why I always go overtime, because you keep listening. Um, that's why if you sit on an airplane next to me, you're a, you are a captive audience. <laughs> I am just going to give it to you, right? I am not going to hold that back. Announce to you through the Holy Spirit, right? Um, I'll never forget a while back. I got on an airplane. I was so dead tired. So I sat down, and there's this lady next to me, and she wouldn't stop talking. And I was like, okay, God, I'm tired. Normally I do this to people, but I'm, ta I'm tired. And you know what? I said, okay, if she's going to talk, I'm going to talk. And I gave her the good news of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, we had the best discussion. And she thanked me up and down. She told me where she sits at the Penguin Games. I said, you got an extra seat? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll talk to you more if you'd like to know that, yeah? And she was older. She was like in the 70s, so my wife was perfectly fine with everything. So, But it was just like, you know, it's a, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And if we get, we have this opportunity, we get to preach the gospel. And when we give the good news, it's the Holy Spirit who comes along and works. This past week, I've been out with a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people. And somebody said, hey, would you go visit my friend who's in the hospital and they had a terrible accident. And so I've had this name on my desk for about three weeks, maybe a month, and praying, and I knew it was a very long-term injury. And every time I went to get out there, something happened. I need, need to deal with something here. Things are happening in our church family. So Friday, I get in the car and I go down to Pittsburgh. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is to go into Pittsburgh at 4 o'clock on Friday. But I was like, you know what? I just feel like God saying I got to go. So I got in the car and I went down to Pittsburgh at 4 o'clock on Friday. And I, uh, I was thinking, man, what else I could be doing? I just said, all right, God, you're talking to me. I'm going to go. And got in the car and drove down into there. And I go into this hospital room. And there's the person that was hurt. And uh, his wife was there. And you know, we sat there and we talked. Then I began to share the good news of Jesus. I said, would you mind if I share with you how to have a relationship with God? Like how good God is and what he wants to do in your life. <clears throat> and they said, yes. And so I stood there and I began to tell them the good news of Jesus. And I said, would you like to invite Christ into your life? And you know, they both said yes. And they both opened their hearts to Jesus right there. And they prayed right there in the hospital. They are now part of the family of God. And, and listen, this is, this is the super exciting. We get to go out and give the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not because of something that I do. It's because the Holy Spirit is in the message. And let me tell you, every person in the church, every one of you are preachers. You don't have to stand up here and do a monologue. You don't have to be up in front of people, but you get to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why? You have friends that I'll never meet. There's no way that God can use one person to reach everybody in this town. That's why God has the body, and every one of you is going out there. And I hear over and over different people come and say, you know what? My friend who goes to your church told me about Jesus. My friend who goes to your church gave a good word about God to me. And as that happens, you see what's happening? It's the power of God. The Holy Spirit is in the message. And so when I give you the message, I'm not too worried about it. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is in it. This isn't about me. It's not about the person up here. It's about the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what Peter did. Peter got up on the day of Pentecost. He says, you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He was bold. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was on his message. And folks, the Holy Spirit is on the message as you go give it. And that's what we're called to do. So this is where the good news gets preached. Not just in the church. This is... This is very limited time. It gets preached in backyard barbecues, at breakfast meetings, at lunch appointments, at office cubicles, in schoolway halls, in recreation ball fields, down on airplanes, up on airplanes, not down, <laughs> airplanes. God uses it on buses, planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Listen, God uses believers when we go, and we are the preachers now. 
Not me. We. And as we go out, God uses this and it transforms people's life. It is such a marvelous message. Look here what he says in verse, uh, verse 12 there. He says, this is, it is so powerful that the angels long to look. It is so marvelous that angels ponder it. Angels ponder your salvation. One translation says it like this. Angels desire to look into it. Uh, it is a wonderful, it is also wonderful that even angels, the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Why would the angels be all about this? Why would the angels watch what's happening with me and you? Well, the angels were there when Jesus was born. They, they filled the sky. The angels were there at the tomb of Christ when the tomb was empty and helping to roll the stone away. The angels were there and they saw the life of Christ. And that the scripture says here that they're interested in the things that we do. Why are they interested in us? Because angels don't experience salvation. That is something for humans. When you hear of a fallen angel, there's no reversal. Angels that were fallen are fallen. There's no way back. The grace of God was given for you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for your sin. Perhaps they're fascinated whenever they see a drug addict that becomes a preacher. Perhaps the angels are fascinated whenever they see a criminal that becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and then becomes a missionary. Perhaps they're excited and leaning in whenever they see a blasphemer, somebody who was highly offended by the message of God, become a saved child of God. Listen, the Scriptures tell us that in, in Luke 15 that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. I think it's something like this. The angels... They're watching what's happening. They saw the virgin birth. They saw how Jesus rose from the dead. And they're watching this so great, this marvelous salvation. They're watching it play out. And they saw this little kid down in Dormont named Kenny Barner. And they saw that Kenny Barner messed up. They saw that Kenny Barner had sin in his life. And then they saw the holiness of God. Isaiah 6 talks about how the train of the robe filled the temple like the holiness of God. They're seeing the smoke. They're seeing this, this incredible scene. And then they're looking and they're saying, this kid down here deserves punishment. But God had grace on him. And God snatched him out of a crazy family. And God put him to do his work. And the angels rejoiced. Friday when I was walking down the hallway... This sermon was already prepared. It was ready to go. It was just baking in my heart for a while. And as I'm walking out of that hallway, and those people trusted Jesus as their Savior, all I could think was, God, there's a, there's a party going on in heaven. Can you imagine that? These people, husband and wife, trust Jesus as their Savior. It says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. There is a partay. They are cutting a rug in heaven. Last night we had a number of people come to Jesus Christ. There's a partay in heaven. 
first hour, a number of people came to Jesus, and I know there'll be more coming to Jesus this morning. And when that happens, you know what happens? That all of heaven shuts down. It's like, okay, everybody stop. It's time to party. There's another one came to Jesus, and they are fascinated by it, rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I want to invite you to trust Jesus. You want to make the, the angels marvel? then accept his gift of salvation. Accept his gift of salvation. That's it. He died on a cross. He paid for your sin. All you've got to do is accept it. And if you're a follower of Christ already and you've been following him and you're walking with the Lord, I want to encourage you, let's go out and make the party bigger. Let's go out and tell more people the good news of Jesus everywhere we go. At lunch appointments, at planes, trains, and automobiles, everywhere we go, where you study, where you work, where you shop, where you play, let's go out and make disciples. Let's go tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Tell those friends around bonfires, around campfires, around cookouts, around everything that you get a chance, and watch God bring people unto himself. And it won't be because of you. It'll be because of the message and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden... You get to sit back and say, there's a party in heaven. But if you've not yet trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you haven't made this personal, the message to you today is open your heart and trust Him. He died on the cross. It was foretold for thousands of years that He would come. And all the prophecies came up and it lined up. There is no other option there is no, uh, nothing else under the sun that could help you. You come to this Jesus, you surrender to him, and you accept him as your personal Savior, and he will make the difference in your life. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, and no one looking around, if you'd like to trust Jesus as your personal Savior, I'd like to invite you to pray with me this morning. Uh, you can do that. The scripture says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. And whether you're online or here in the auditorium, I'd like to invite you to trust Jesus. And you can do that simply by praying a prayer, something like this. And you can repeat it after me to God, just quietly between your heart, between your soul and to the Lord. And just pray something like this. Just pray, dear God. I'm a sinner, and I admit my sin before you today. I need you to be my Savior. Jesus died on the cross, and he paid for my sin, and he rose again the third day. And I invite him into my heart and soul right now. God, I accept your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for saving me. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if you just opened your heart today to trust Jesus, if you just prayed with me, I'd like to remember you in a closing prayer. Would you just put your hand up in the air, raise it up in the air and put it down, I'll remember you in a closing prayer today. God bless you, I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you. Three, four people. Five. God bless you. Six. God bless you. All over this auditorium, God is moving. God is moving. 
If you just open your heart, just lift it up and down, and I'll remember you in a closing prayer. God bless you. I see that hand. Seven. There's a party happening in heaven, folks. Eight right there. God bless you. Are there others, man? God is moving. You just prayed to receive the Lord. I want to pray for you right now. I'm just going to lift you up in prayer, and I'm going to ask every Christian, everyone that's been following Christ for a long time, would you join me in prayer as we celebrate what God has just done in this room with seven folks that opened their heart to Jesus. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I thank you for the party going on in heaven right now, Lord. God, I know the angels are celebrating because you have just brought more people to yourself and they have opened their hearts. God, I pray for these folks in here that just opened their heart to Jesus. I pray that they will take the the next steps of faith, Lord, that you encourage them as they walk the journey and keep growing that faith that has just begun today, Lord. God, I, I lift them up and I ask your blessing upon them, Lord. I ask that you'll continue to grow what you've done in their life and that we'll see great days of faith in their, in their future as they continue to walk and know you. Lord, each one of us have a story. You drew each one of us in here for your reason. Lord, today was a divine appointment for many people and for many that are watching online as well. And so, God, we thank you for this salvation. It was so great, Lord. I pray for all of us as we go out this week, Lord. Help us all to go share this wonderful, marvelous salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for what you've done, and we ask your encouragement along our way of the faith journey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song, and let's worship the Lord. Here I am to worship. How appropriate that we sing this as we close our service. And let's, first of all, before we sing, let's, let us rejoice because there's a party going on in heaven right now. Amen? Let's rejoice with the Lord.
Be my strength.